welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and I am so excited about my first guest of the year, 2020. So my guest is Brandy. I have actually known Brandy for over 10, 15 years, maybe? 15. 15. Oh, Lord. <laughs> 15 years. Brandy is this beautiful woman that I met through mutual friends. She is a divorced mother of two. She's a business owner and a master manifester. However, it took a lot of darkness, death, addiction, abuse, suicide, betrayal, and heartbreak to get her to surrender to the life that has so many blessings to offer her. Everybody, please welcome Brandy. Hey, Paola. Thank you for having me. And I was just thinking about our history together and how out of the 15 years, we probably only had maybe like two handfuls of in-person encounters. Yeah. Of which were fun fun times, <laughs> a lot of dancing and a alcohol. Da- a lot of dancing. <laughs> I mean, still to this day, if I hear Katy Perry, I think of you. It's so Aww. funny. Um, but up until what, about a year ago, we had our first like vulnerable sit down where we talked as women yeah. and it was still fun and we still had mimosas and stuff, but yeah. we talked about our fears and our goals and I'm just super proud of you because I've seen your journey on social media and watching you grow. And I just want to thank you for letting me be part of it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It is crazy. We were just talking earlier in the office, just how when we were having brunch, I was telling her about my idea and what I wanted to do. And I told her, but I sat on it for a year before I actually launched it. And she's like, girl, (laughs) some people sit on their dreams for longer than a year. So just let it go. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I should just let it go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm one of those people. Okay, so let's talk about your journey. I know it personally because I've known you for a long time now. But as we were going through some of the the pinpoints that we were going to talk about today, I'm pretty shocked. I'm like shocked that all of this has happened because I knew a little bit of stuff because we have mutual friends, but I did not know the extent of your journey until now. And I'm so excited for you ladies to hear her because she is seriously an inspiration to know what she's gone through in her entire journey and to see her when I see her, I've, she's got a smile on her face. She's got a beautiful daughter and she's just constantly hustling. And I love that about her. So let's get started. Okay. So first I want to have a quick disclaimer because I was telling Paola before we hit record that I've been wanting to share my story I feel very compelled to share it. And I feel that it all happened in vain if I don't share it. However, there is a little bit of fear around exposing other people's business and possibly hurting their feelings. I'm still going to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I just want to say to anyone that might be listening that might bother you that it's out there that I'm sorry. I love you. I forgive you. And it's my story. And I really thank you because it made me who I am. So with that being said, I honestly don't remember most of my early childhood. It's very fuzzy up until about eight. I do know that I was raised in San Bernardino until I was about five years old. I came to Riverside. My parents were, my mom was 17, my dad was 20 when they found out they were pregnant with me. Wow, that's young. Mm -hmm. 17 and 20. Mm -hmm. So my mom was a baby. I think she was about five months pregnant when they got married and I was about two when they divorced. There was, according to my mother, some issues with addiction and abuse 
and she ended up leaving my father for his best friend. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the story goes something like they were fighting and my stepdad was the shoulder she cried on and my dad walked in <gasps> on them laying together with no clothes on. Oh my gosh. And threw my stepdad, who was his best friend at the time, like through the window or something. <gasps> No yeah. way. Well, that best friend ended real quick. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so weird. It's so weird, though, that later, like years later, they they made amends and it, their relationship was very weird. Yeah. I well, men are easier to forgive kind of stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I think so. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of why my father forgave my stepdad might have been because my dad was addicted to meth. He was homeless. After my mom left him, he was homeless and he was heavily addicted to drugs. Oh my gosh. How old was he? Um, 22, 23. So he was young. Yeah. But did he, was he always addicted to drugs or was it because your mom left him? I think they dabbled. I know that my dad had experienced some trauma as a young, like a young boy. He saw his best friend was playing with a gun, didn't <gasps> realize it was loaded and shot another mutual friend in front of him oh my god and so I know he had some like PTSD about that and just the neighborhood that they grew up in it was yeah. so weird because my grandmother had five five kids I think six kids and all the boys ended up either alcoholics or on drugs and then my two aunts yeah were the only people in my family that went to college they didn't touch drugs they didn't touch alcohol so it's just weird how different yeah. And peer pressure really exists. It and they exists. had each other as twins, I think, to kind of hold each other like accountable. Mm -hmm. So who knows what that was about. But yeah, he, you know, he did like normal teenage stuff. Mm -hmm. he, he did like cocaine and he was drinking and smoking weed and doing those things. But it got bad. It got yeah. like to where he was. Became homeless. homeless. Yeah. It was to the point where he would come to babysit me and my sister, even though I was his daughter for drugs wow. because my stepdad was like the biggest dealer in Riverside. No way. It was weird. And I didn't realize how weird it was until I got older. It was just my normal life. Yeah. So it's all you knew. Yeah. And so my sister knew my dad as Uncle Randy, which was <gasps> also weird. It was just, it was this dynamic that mm -hmm. my dad was still friends with my mom and my stepdad and they did drugs together. They partied together and he'd watch us sometimes. So because my dad was a dealer, he was manufacturing and our house would get raided regularly. Really? Good for me, though. I was always outside. Yeah. Like my house was not, it wasn't very family oriented. We didn't have dinner together. I spent most of the time in my room or mm. outside playing. And I would come home like late at night. I kind of just did whatever I wanted because both of my parents were partying yeah. and they were, my mom would sleep all day. And we just, I kind of watched my sister. She was born um, when I was six. And so this time I'm probably about eight or nine and I'm starting to have friends over and I'm realizing that my sister was being treated differently than I was. Like, for example, she was placed in beauty pageants. I never was put in any. Really? My mom would tell me, you know, make fun of how I smiled in pictures. Why don't you smile more like your sister? There was one time that I walked in their bedroom and I noticed that the picture frame of me was down from the hallway and there was like white lines on it with a cut up straw and a razor blade and they were doing drugs, drugs off my face, like my school picture. Oh. And I couldn't help but think, why my picture? Like, yeah. why not 
my sister's picture. So at that age, I realized that I just wasn't that important. And I also, I don't know if it was due to trauma or what it was, because like I said, I don't really remember much of my early childhood, but I had this issue wetting the bed. And I went to the doctor for it and they tried to give me pills and they told my mom, don't let her drink after a certain time. And so my mom would cut off my water supply at like 6 p.m. So you wouldn't pee yourself. And I remember going in the bathroom and like sneaking water out of the sink because I was so thirsty. Yeah. And I would pee the bed and she would be furious and she would tell me she was going to go hang my sheets up at school and (gasps) put a note on it that said like Brandy's pissy sheets. And she was never very like loving about it. And yeah. so I, I well, was, she started being your mother at the age of 17. So she has absolutely no tools right. on how to be a mother or an adult or, and then plus the drugs, I'm sure that did not help. <laughs> yeah. The drugs kept her on a constant edge. Yeah. Like just, and if you're not having drugs and aren't you like, yeah, withdrawing and coming down off of them, mad. sleeping all day, don't yeah. bother me. So <laughs> This is like how my psyche was. And I finally told my sister this story probably like three years ago. I wet the bed one time and my sister never did. So that was also thrown in my face. You know, Mm -hmm. your sister's younger than you. She doesn't pee the bed. You do. What's wrong with you? So I rolled her over in it. Wow. And I remember thinking like I was smart enough to know, wait, they're going to know she didn't do it because her clothes aren't wet. So Mm -hmm. I went and got a cup of water and I poured it on her. And somehow still it was my fault because she saw me doing it. Yeah. So that's where my mind was at. And I was just constantly competing for attention. They weren't, you know, he wasn't my biological father and um, he was hers. And I just felt like kind of like the outcast. Mm. So luckily, my dad had two younger sisters that were twins and they were about 14 when I was born. And they kind of just took me under their wing and they would come check on me and make sure I was getting to school. They'd make sure my hair was combed. I had clean clothes. And they taught me manners. They instead would do like a positive reinforcement thing where they kept a calendar. And if I didn't wet the bed that night, I'd get a gold star. Wow. And when I got like seven gold stars, I would get to pick this prize out of the treasure box. So it gave me like incentive to to not be afraid of it, but just to like be excited about conquering this issue with wetting the bed. Yeah. Even though you were in that environment, you still had somebody, there was one, two people, which were great twins of a light that brought into the darkness. I literally have no idea where I would be without them. But you know, eventually, as I got closer to my teenage years, they got married and they started having kids of their own and they just didn't really have that much time to invest in me anymore. Yeah. So I guess their leadership kind of started going away. So now my stepdad's in prison. I'm maybe 12 years old and I'm a flat chested tomboy, super skinny. You're 12. You're not supposed to have boobs. (laughs) No, but the girls these days, my friends had them. They had already started their period. And I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad I didn't start my period at 12. (laughs) I know me too. But like, I was like, what's wrong with me? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a woman or, you know, I just felt like an outcast again. So what made it even worse is I finally was bold enough to have friends over my house for my 12th birthday sleepover. And one of my birthday gifts was one of those magic eight balls that you shake and ask it a question. And so my mom thought it was funny to shake it and ask, when will Brandy get boobs? (gasps) And so everyone, all all my friends started laughing. She's laughing and I'm mortified and I'm just like, I guess boobs are a big deal. Yeah. Well, did your mom have a big chest? 
not huge, but I mean, she she had boobs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she's also an adult and you're 12 yeah, years old. I know. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. So that started some issues um, around my body. And I guess I didn't really realize it until more recently. Like a lot of things, dots just start connecting. And I'm like, wow, maybe that's why I had so much energy on these certain parts of my life that are yeah. so silly if you think about it. So that was one thing that stood out. And uh, eventually my mom left my stepdad for a guy that she was kind of seeing off and on when he would go to prison. And my sister and her moved in with him and I had nowhere to go really. So my dad had no choice at that point to get cleaned up. He got a job at Kmart. He rode the bus every day. He moved in with my grandma and I had a little room there. And he just slowly started saving money and eventually rented his own house down the street. And eventually the relationship with my mother didn't work out with the gentleman she had left my stepfather for. And she met a guy online and she left and went to Florida. She just up and moved. Jeez. And so then there's my sister, who's not my dad's daughter, but her dad is in prison and my mom is somewhere being catfished. (laughs) And so my dad takes her in. And so now we all live together. I'm a little bit jealous because all I wanted was my dad's attention for so long Mm -hmm. and I finally got it. And now here I am sharing it with my sister again. Yeah. And my dad treated her better because he felt sorry for her, her situation with her parents. And I'm a teenager now and I'm angry at him for not being there and he knows it. And so he's more loving and more vulnerable with her. And him and I had kind of a weird relationship. Yeah. Um, He was afraid to talk to me about sex or boys or anything to do with, you know, what was happening to my body. And I really didn't have anyone to talk to. So I ended up pregnant at 17. 17. Yeah. Was it somebody that you were dating? Were you like... It was my best friend in high school. Okay. So we both were athletes and we hung out a lot and we were together for, I mean, I had sex at 14. And so I got pregnant at 17, like my mother. We were both babies and having babies. So we tried to make things work. It was hard because we were so young. But through high school, I had a group of friends. I was always kind of like, couldn't find my place to fit in. Yeah, I grew up in an all-Mexican neighborhood. I wasn't the cheerleader. I really liked playing basketball and running track and playing softball. So I found myself with black girls and Mexican girls, and I didn't really fit in with white girls. So I had this group of friends and we were all like different races and, you know, we had an Asian, Mexican, two black (laughs) girls, my friend, my best friend, pretty much Janine, she was Hawaiian and white. And we spent a lot of time together. We both didn't have fathers. We were pretty much the only ones of our friends that didn't have our fathers growing up. And her mom was schizophrenic. And Um, I don't know how she was even in her care. Yeah. Uh, But we would ditch school regularly. And we would go to Janine's apartment and her mom would just be like calling these obscene things out of of her room. Like she'd be like, Brandy, don't ever let anyone put it in your butt. Uh, And I'm like 13. (laughs) And we're just like, "Ah, okay, Sherry, thanks. You know, it was just very like weird. And again, I didn't know how weird it was until I got older, but this is the environment she grew up in. 
You didn't know that she was schizophrenic? I mean, I knew, but I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I didn't know. I had no clue. I'm just like, okay, this lady's crazy. And I used (laughs) to think she was so lucky because she got to do whatever she wanted. Yeah. Say whatever she wanted. Whatever. Like her mom was not mentally stable. Stable. So me and Janine spent a lot of time together through high school and ditch most of high school to the point where we both got kicked out of high school. And she ended up moving with her grandmother kind of far. I think it was like San Bernardino, which wasn't that far. But when you're, you know, in high school, that's super far. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's like 30 minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> but when you don't have a car, yeah. and you're not about to take the bus. That's exactly. a long road trip. So we didn't see each other for a while. And by the time I had seen her again, I was pregnant. And... Maybe when Andrew was like six months old, we had reunited. We all, all of us friends got together and we went and hung out. And I noticed that Janine had a bruise on her cheek and we started asking her what it was about. You know, how'd you get that? And she was telling us that her boyfriend puts hickeys on her face. What? So that boys won't talk to her. Oh my gosh. And Red flag. <laughs> I know, right? So we're like 17, maybe 18. I don't think we're quite 18 yet. And I'm pregnant and she's in an abusive relationship and I have a lot of guilt over not doing anything or saying anything when I knew the situation she was in because about, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from our friend's mom and she says, Janine's dead. She's <gasps> been shot by the police. No way. So we have no idea what happened. We just know the story is that she had a knife in her hand and the police man told her to drop it and she didn't. So he shot her in the chest twice. (gasps) And mind you, she was maybe a hundred pounds, four foot 10, tiny little thing. Like her nickname was tiny because she was so small. And we didn't know much of the story until it came out later, but there was, it was shortly after the Taisha Miller shooting. And there was another shooting like shortly after that, where there was a lot of energy around police brutality. So we had a candlelight vigil for her In San Bernardino, where she was shot, the community showed up and which, of course, brought the police. And I was I remember just being so angry, like, how dare you guys come to this? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm 17 and I go up to one of the cops. I'm pissed and I'm just like, how dare you come? Like, why? Why did he have to kill her? Why couldn't he have used pepper spray or a beanbag gun or a taser or a, a baton like I know there's so many other yeah because all she had was a, a knife it wasn't like she had a gun or anything in her hand and she was in the house and he was the cop was standing at the front porch when it happened so there was a really good distance yeah um, well we didn't know this till later after reviewing the police call mm-hmm. um, you can hear everything and you can hear her screaming and what happened was her boyfriend was beating her oh and the police were called Yeah. The boyfriend's mom was there and called the police and just set the phone down. And you can hear the whole thing. You can hear her pleading for help, crying. You can hear the cops show up. And then I I guess at that point she grabbed a knife and was going for her boyfriend and (gasps) the cop shot her. So I had a lot of guilt over that. And uh, when questioning the, the police officer that night, I asked him about, you know, all the different solutions why they shoot her. And he just looked at me and said, we're trained to shoot and we're trained to shoot to kill. Really? And I remember that like 17 years old, I despised the police. I did not feel safe. I mm-hmm. would never call them. Even if I was like dying, I wouldn't Ugh. call them. I, I was afraid of them. Yeah. So here I am now 18. I have a six month old baby. 
You don't have a high school degree. I dropped out of high or school. Or diploma. I did. I did. I, I dropped out of high school, but I took a like a, a GED. GED. I wasn't 18, so it's California high school proficiency exam. It's okay. actually supposed to be harder than GED. And you got it? You yeah. Passed? Yeah. Cool. So I, I technically have a high school diploma, but it was just not the most, you know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody looking for your diploma. I know, right? <laughs> nobody ever asks me, hey, can I see your diploma yeah. or my college degree? <laughs> so I, I got, I actually walked in with my cap and gown at seven months pregnant um, through like a continuation school yeah. and immediately signed myself up for college courses. So okay. I started taking college courses when I was pregnant with him still. And I, I continued to, but just part time because I still had to find a way to make to money. feed us. Yeah. So now... I'm 18. My best friend's dead. Me and my son's father kind of, you know, we're kids and we're trying to figure it out, but we're struggling. And I get a job at Lowe's and I run into a girl that went to Ramona and I went to North and we start talking and we just clicked immediately. Her name was Christine and we met on the RCC campus. And so we start to walk out to our cars together and we notice that we're like parked right next to each other on this huge campus and we're mm -hmm. like oh my gosh what are the odds like we're meant to be friends obviously <laughs> and we talk more and we get like very open and vulnerable really fast and mm -hmm. we kind of just become fast inseparable friends. yeah and she's working at Zales at the time up the street from me and I just bought a brand new car because I needed a four-door to put the car seat in and they cut my hours at Lowe's and she's unhappy at Zales She's not making enough. A lot of it was commission-based, and she just wasn't doing too well. So she proposed to me, my cousin is dancing, and she's making seven, $800 a night. Why don't we just go dance? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, that's so scary. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we... What a response. Yeah. So Let's we, do it. <laughs> so we start dancing at mm. 18 years old. Well, tell us about your first time dancing. Was it oh like nerve-wracking? Yes. You, were you like, I have small boobies, or did your boobies come in by now? <laughs> well, they were like a C, but mind you, I had my son, and I oh. didn't have a woman around me to tell me, you know, wear a bra and do this, and this is how you breastfeed. And so things, like, they weren't perky. For being <laughs> 18 years old, I didn't have perky boobs, and I, yeah. I had a lot of body issues. I had stretch marks. I was like, you know, I lost my weight, but my body was not like the other 18-year-olds. Yeah. So luckily, the lighting is amazing in strip clubs. <laughs> and you add a little bit of smoke and strobe lights and, you know, nobody knows. So so my first time, yeah, I remember dancing like I was in a club. Really? <laughs> like, total dork. Oh, my gosh. And my, I'm like so nervous. My lips are like sticking in my teeth because my mouth is so dry. And I could just see the girls in the back laughing at me. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever, like. Who cares? What do I have to lose here? You know, like I got to pay bills. So no one told you like what to do? No. No one told you like, no. hey, you should do this or move like this. Well, or, later. Yeah. yeah. But like the I first told, time you're like out there just yeah, like. I thought I was doing my thing. <laughs> I thought I was doing my thing. And mind you, there was like no YouTube. There was no tutorials. There's no way to like have someone else show you the ways. Yeah. So I just figured it out. And then, you know. You How spend, much did you make your first night? Oh my gosh, hilarious. So the first night, you're only allowed to audition. Oh. And whatever you make on stage, you can keep, but you can't do dances or you can't work the night. Like okay. you just go and you audition and then you get put on the schedule later. So I remember getting like $83 really? in tips. And I remember going home and counting it 
over and over and over. Like it was so much money to make in 20 minutes. Yeah. It was crazy. Well, considering working at Lowe's part time, your your checks were probably less than 200 bucks every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yeah. And my car payment was like basically that. So when they cut my hours, I couldn't, you know. Yeah. So was, I was able to work like three days a week dancing uh-huh. and be fine. So did you, when you were counting that money, the 83 bucks, were you like hooked? Was that like fast money? I can do this. I can take care of my son. I can pay my car payment. Or at any point, did you think like, what if someone finds out? Oh yeah. I thought about that. And not only did I think about it, but the club I was working at, I could probably throw a rock from it and hit my dad's house. Really? I was super close. So there was times when I spent most of the night back in the dressing room hiding because my uncle was there or my <gasps> or my science teacher was there. Your science teacher? That's not crazy. even kidding. <laughs> so yeah, definitely I ran into some fam- familiar faces and I spent a lot of my time hiding. Uh-huh. Luckily, it's like so dark and I would wear like this long ponytail, drawstring ponytail thing. And so I and heavy makeup. And so I wasn't super recognizable. Yeah. But I mean, I would have been embarrassed had they realized it was me. And my no one knew. It was like such a big secret. It was such a big secret. My stage name was secret. No way. <laughs> so how long did you do that for? On and off for about four years, maybe, maybe five. I I went from that club to another club. That club eventually closed down the freeway, bought it as eminent domain and it got tore down. Mm. So all of us were without a job. But I made really good friends with these girls. These girls were, I mean, my family. We spent so much time together and we would like, we were we were as close as you can get. Like, hey, can you see my tampon? Hey, you know, like yeah. things like that. When it came to money, yeah, it was very like cutthroat. But outside of it, we hung out. We know when on slow on slow days, we'd be in the back like talking. And a lot of these girls had dealt with trauma, a lot of trauma. They, you know, they didn't have their fathers. They were raped, you know, dealt with death. They lost their parents at a really young age. Like everyone had a story. And I felt finally like people understood me. I was somewhere where people understood me. I'm still friends with like almost all of them. Wow. And a lot of them have gone on to do great things. Yeah, absolutely. Become nurses, become managers, business owners things like that. So it was just a moment in time. And I eventually went on to dance in Orange County and LA and eventually Vegas. I moved to Vegas. Did you just decide to move clubs because one club wasn't lucrative enough or was somebody like telling you, go to Orange County, there's more money there or go to LA, there's more money there or let's go to Vegas because that's where all the money is. Or how did you decide to leave like certain clubs? To be honest, the Orange County one also got shut down. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I I left there. How did I end up in Vegas? I think I just wanted to get away. And and like, yeah, it was, I mean, everyone knew you go to Vegas, you make money. It's 24 hours. People Mm -hmm. are there to spend money. When I was working in Vegas, I was not leaving with less than a thousand dollars in like a five hour shift. Wow. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Vegas, I got a call though from, I think it was my dad. And he said, you got to come home. And I was like, what? This has got to be important if he's telling me to drive three and a half hours Mm -hmm. right now. So I come home and I just remember pulling up to my grandma's house and my dad's just look on his face. I was just like, who was it? Who is it? And he's like, it's Sean. And so Sean was my dad's younger brother. Mm. Sean was only six years older than me. My grandma had him pretty late. 
And so he was like an older brother to me. And we yeah. lived. Even though he was your uncle. He was my uncle. But with our age difference, it was like the same age difference I had with my sister. He taught me how to play baseball. I mean, he's the reason why I got, I was like a tomboy. Yeah. Because I didn't have any older siblings. And turns out that there was this really freak accident on the freeway that my uncle was driving to work about seven o'clock in the morning and he was going northbound towards San Bernardino and southbound. There was two explorers, I believe, that were fighting. One was a woman driving and then the one behind her was her boyfriend and he was trying to like ram her car off the road. <gasps> so he lost control and his car hit the center divider. Oh no. And it's like 7.30 in the morning and somehow... The battery comes unattached from the car that hit the center divider. The hood didn't even open. It just flies through the hood. Really? And hits my uncle's windshield. <gasps> like, hits him straight in the face. Like, he doesn't even know it's happening. And what was so interesting about it is... The batteries are heavy. Yeah. So, this story is, is, like, one I have to tell because it was the story that really made me realize that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens how it's supposed to. There are no accidents. Mm -hmm. And you just don't question it. So about three weeks before this happened, my uncle bought a new truck. He had a small car, like a Thunderbird. And mm -hmm. he came over to, I was visiting my dad. I was down from Vegas. I was visiting my dad. And he came over to show me his new truck. And he had like a 12 pack of beer and he was super excited. And he's like, hey, Brandy, check out my truck. And I'm on my way to go somewhere. So I'm like, sorry, Sean. He's like, I'm on my way out. I'll see it later, mm -hmm. that whole thing. And I never saw him again. That was the last time I saw him. Yeah. And so I started thinking and I'm like, if he had his car, it wouldn't happen. Like he was in a bigger truck where it hit, it would have went over it. Yeah. If he hadn't have left the house right when he left, it wouldn't have happened. You know, like all these what ifs, these yeah. things start You go through so happening. many scenarios. And then I have this guilt of like, why didn't I just hang out with him? Why didn't I just spend that last? five mm. minutes with him to just be like, oh yeah, cool truck, dude. Like, you yeah. know, just show some love. Well, because no one you really believes like that's the last time I'm going to see you. Especially when you're young. He died at 30. Yeah. So I'm 24. He's 30. And it turns out that my, my cousin, so the twins that mm -hmm. basically were Raised my mentors yeah. growing <laughs> up had um, daughters of their own or one had daughters, one had sons. And one of the daughter's birthday was the next day. The party was planned. My uncle had bought her a guitar. He was a musician and they were going to cancel the party. And my grandma was like, don't you dare. Like yeah. you give, she's a little girl. She doesn't understand what's happening. You give her Sean's gift and you go on with the party. So my aunt and my cousin, her son go to Sam's Club in San Bernardino. Mm -hmm. And they're walking through Sam's Club and the TV section has the news on. And this was such a freak accident. It was all over the news. Oh. So my cousin says something. To my aunt, like, look, Uncle Sean's on TV. And my aunt's just like sad, keeps walking. And then she sees like Sam's Club workers kind of looking, staring, huddling up, whispering. So she goes to get the birthday cake. She comes back, stands in line, and some girl taps her on the shoulder. And it's like, excuse me, the man that died yesterday, was that your uncle? She's like, he was my brother. And the girl just starts crying. And she's like, I was the girl he was chasing. He was going to kill me. What? And my aunt said, like, the hairs on her arms, like, stood up. And she's just, like, in total shock. She's like, how is this even happening? And she's like, the girl's like, if you need to ask me any questions, like, I'm so, so sorry. I have four kids at home. Like, your, your brother saved my life. He was going to kill me. 
Wow. He was like literally trying to run her off the road. So where where the accident happened was like one exit before Sam's Club because mm-hmm. she had to skip her exit. She was on her way to work because she was so scared. She just kept driving. So, so it was somebody else that was chasing her. Her boy, yeah, her, her boyfriend. boyfriend. And your uncle like intervened. No, my uncle's on the opposite side of the freeway. Has oh. no idea what's happening. Just He's driving going a, to di- work. a different direction. Total different direction. And so then he hits the center divider the guys, and, hits, yeah. and his battery. battery comes out and hits. Oh my gosh. That is such a freak accident. And then to make the story even weirder, my uncle's best friend, who was also in a metal band, his dad was a corner. His dad, it's the corner that showed up. Oh and my gosh. obviously didn't know it was my uncle because his face is probably not. He the was same. gone. It was, yeah. yeah, knocked knocked it off. So, you know, luckily wallet identification, he found out it was his son's best friend kind of just went full circle and it was one of those like things that are just like you hear about this in movies and yeah like final destination or something exactly and speaking of that that next friday my sister's friend was driving to work worked at castle park in riverside and was driving behind a car that had a mattress in the back and it came off (gasps) and killed her no way (laughs) she was like 18 maybe 19 so I didn't leave my house for two months. I was just so scared. I'm like, yeah. you can't drive. You can't go anywhere. You never know. Things are just going to come flying at you. Yeah. So I was like traumatized. That is traumatic. It, I would I would probably feel the same way. The fear of like leaving your house because something freak might happen to you. Because it's like, you don't think about, I'm going to die of a battery hitting me in the face while I'm driving down the freeway or a, you know, a mattress coming loose from a car in front of you. There was a girl in my neighborhood when I lived in Costa Mesa, she was sitting at a traffic stop and there was this tree that literally fell over and crushed her in her car. And she was just sitting at a traffic stop. If the light would have turned green, she would have made a turn and it would have passed her by. But everything is like a freak accident, but you can't live in fear and sit at home. But I could understand why you did that for two months. For two months. Yeah. And it took a whole lot of those types of situations until I really did begin to just trust the process of Mm -hmm. life and timing. And when it's your time, it's your time. And one thing that we did agree on, my uncle was a huge fan of like Slayer and Cannibal Corpse and Gore. And he loved like Mm -hmm. super heavy, like death metal. And so he would probably say that's a cool way to go out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so yeah. we, you know, we had to find ways to find humor in the situation. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. I broke my grandmother's heart, Aww. broke my dad's heart, everyone's heart. I mean, he was the baby and he's yeah. the first to go. So that was just another moment in time where I was dealing with loss at a young age. And after that, I decided I'm not going to live in Vegas anymore. Like I love my family. I don't want to be this far. And we were so close. Like it brought us together. Yeah. That's one thing death will do is bring you together. It does. Or, or it divides you. I mean, it's one of two things. So in this case, we, we, I loved my family and I looked at him like, I'm so lucky to have you guys. And my dad's, you know, he's doing good at this time. He's doing great with his job. He's bought a Harley. He's bought his own house. He bought an RV. That's incredible. Sand toys. Like, yeah. It's, to I mean, go from like being homeless mm-hmm. and addicted to meth to mm-hmm. now I have my own house and a great job and taking care of, you know, you guys. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So he's like, just come back home. And so I'm like 24 years old, moving back at home with my dad. <laughs> but I didn't care because I, you know, I was with my family. Yeah. 
I decided I didn't want to dance anymore. I was kind of like, it was empty. It was hard to date. Anyone that took me serious, I'm like, how can I take you serious? You know, like, you're okay with me doing this? Yeah. So I decided to start bartending. And I'm bartending at like a little dive bar. Mm -hmm. In Riverside? In Corona. Okay. And it's like a well-known biker bar. And so there's this guy that comes in. And I worked there for like four years. And there's a guy that comes in all the time and he's in a well-known motorcycle club and he's always hitting on me, but I made a rule not to date the customers. I did the same thing with dancing and Mm -hmm. it was kind of the same thing, but I kept my clothes (laughs) on. And so I didn't. And I got a phone call at work about two years after I was working there and they were like, your stepdad tried to hang himself and he's what? in the hospital. So you need to get down here. Oh my God. So I'm just pissed. I'm just like, you better be dead. Really? That's what came pissed. to your mind. You better be dead. How dare you try to do this? Suicide. How dare you? Like I was so angry. Ah, my stepdad, he was, he kind of always struggled. Mm. So he, he had been clean. He had been out of prison for a while, but he was seeing this girl, him and my mom were like separated. He was seeing this girl and she was struggling with addiction. And so it kind of kept him going back and forth. And yeah. he walked in on a situation, like he, he was going through times, mm-hmm. trying times. And him and my mom decided to be roommates because my mom comes back from, from Florida, mm-hmm. doesn't work out. The guy ends up being abusive, oh. POS. Yeah. So her and my stepdad decided to have like this platonic relationship where they're roommates. <laughs> Not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, that never works out. So my mom's a little jealous, I think, of this, the fact that he's in love with another woman mm. and he's just sad and moping around for a while. And my mom just starts talking crap to him and Until telling him. made him want to commit suicide. It's like, you never know. He yeah. didn't leave a note. All I know is that all of this happens when I'm at work. So I have no idea this is going on. Yeah. So did he die? Yeah. Oh. So my mom, my mom said things to him such as like you know you've never been a father to talking about my sister that yeah that my dad was always a better father to her than he was and just mean things like yeah I'm gonna call your parole officer this she could have very manipulative ways was she there when he tried to hang him she found him <gasps> so she found him hanging in the garage so oh. what happened is that my my mom and him got into a big fight yeah. Somehow my sister and my dad end up there. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how it worked out, but my dad's there just trying to keep the peace and like he doesn't want to be part of it. But my mom's bringing him into it. And my sister's there just to kind of be like, I love you, dad. Like, you know, don't worry. Yeah. So my dad takes off. My sister takes my stepdad for a drive and they just talk and and she's just, you know, like being honest with him about how it was growing up with him being, you know, in and out of prison and how she loves him and she forgives him, but it's the reality. Yeah. And so the last thing she knows is that he goes to walk in the house and the door's locked. And my mom, like I said, you know, she could be very like condescending. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure she purposely locked the door to like piss him off. And I think honestly, like it's not that it was the door locked. That made him kill himself. It was like, that was the final straw. Yeah. It was like this, 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 this. And like, I'm done. And so he went and grabbed a rope out of the back of his truck and he hung himself in the garage. Oh my goodness. And my mom noticed that the light in the garage had been on a while, but she didn't really think anything of it because it was kind of like his man cave. Mm-hmm. So she eventually walked out there and found him hanging. Oh. Cut him down, started screaming, tried to give him to mouth. 
oh, like the ambulance finally comes and he's not responsive, but he still has a pulse. And so when I'm on my way, he's still alive. And so I'm thinking like, I'm going to, I'm going off when I see him, like, you know, and then I walk in and I could just tell again by the look on people's faces, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's gone. Mm. And my sister's not there. Oh no. My sister doesn't know. And everyone's texting her. (gasps) So she walks in, not a word is said to her and she just chucks her purse at my mom's head. No way. She's like, you fucking bitch. (gasps) It's because of you. And like, we're having to peel my sister off my mom. And my mom is crying. Like she just lost her husband. They were still legally married. Oh my God. I don't know what to do in this situation. So I'm trying to calm it down. I'm telling my mom, like, it's not your fault. Like, I don't really know all the details. And I mean, still to this day, it's someone's personal decision to do that. No one, you know, like, I'm not going to blame my mother. However, she can be hard to live with at times. Mm -hmm. So that happens. And... This is where like life just changes forever Mm. because my dad feels guilty. My mom feels horrible. My mom and dad start hanging out because they have this common thing that they both feel so bad about my stepdad and they end up getting back together. After 25 years, my mom moves in with my dad. Oh my God. And they're like a relationship and it is the weirdest thing for me. I'm just like, sounds weird. That's so gross. Yeah. So they kind of start like partying, hanging out. They're drinking a little bit, but just on weekends, Mm -hmm. having fun. But But no drugs, just drinking. I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. It's like you never know, but there was no signs of it. Mm -hmm. I think my dad was like done. Like when he was done, he was done. And then I go to work, go back to work, get like two weeks off. My job's like, you know. The lady there, she's like, my daughter tells me a story about how her daughter opened the oven and put her head in it and killed herself. And so <gasps> she's like, you know, she's she feels for me. And she's wow. like, take as much time as you need. That's a good employer. Yeah. So I, I come I come back to work and there's the guy that had been hitting on me from the biker club. And it's just me and him in the bar. And I always like thought he was attractive and I was drawn to him, but I knew it was no good for me. Yeah. Like, all the red flags were there. He'd bring in different women Mm-hmm. You know, he was drugs being transacted and he was drinking a lot. It was just like not a good guy. Run. <laughs> so But then you're like, what's your phone number? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, what happened was oddly enough, his father died that mm. same weekend. Wow. That my stepfather died. And of natural causes, he was older. So I'll keep his name out of it, but he was 40 years old or I was like 30. He was 14 years older than me. Wow. So his dad was much older, died of natural causes. However, yeah, it's just me and him in the bar. And so I pull up his favorite, a bottle of Crown Royal, and we're just sitting there taking shots and we're just crying together. Yeah. And And the pain brought you guys together. Exactly. So we're dating for four years and it goes pretty well, like. He's, you know, nothing too crazy. He has like some situations that were pretty interesting, like some calls he'd have to go on. And, you know, I would just do my best to pretend like I didn't know what's going on. And one night we had been drinking and we went out on his bike and he was wasted. So was I. Mm -hmm. But he was driving and he wanted to take off. It was like him and another buddy that had a bike and they were going to go leave and they were going to leave me. And I I think there was a mixture of I didn't want him to leave. Mm-hmm. I was wasted and I was really concerned for him driving. And so I 
took his glasses off of his head and I broke them. And he punched me in the face, <gasps> like just right away reaction. Yeah. And I got up and it was like a fight. I was like, every time he knocked me down, I'd get up and I'd just run towards him. He knocked me down again. Oh and so goodness. his buddy's there and he's just watching it all happen. And he didn't stop it. Mm -mm. Mm. And mind you, I'm not a police caller because of what happened to Janine. Oh, yeah. So there's all these situations around domestic violence where it ends in death. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm not calling what do the I police. do? No, like I'm going to protect myself. Yeah. And so I just keep getting up and I keep getting up until the next thing I know, I like come to, there's two cops over me. <sighs> there's like blood splattered um, all over the blinds. My, oh my phone goodness. is in pieces. And I guess it just got so crazy that the neighbors heard it and they called. Mm -hmm. So he's arrested. He's in the back of a cop car. He's doesn't want to, he doesn't want to talk about it. He's like, there's in the police report, he won't, he won't talk about anything. He just voluntarily gets arrested. All of his guns get seized. Wow. And my face is like unrecognizable. Mm. And I remember the cops telling me, I mean, this was definitely a softer side of the police. They mm -hmm. were like genuinely like, you need to leave. Mm -hmm. Like he's going to keep doing this. So I left and I moved in with a friend in Beverly Hills, a friend that I had known forever who happened to be a male. And I was just in hiding for like two or three weeks while my face healed, mm -hmm. while I figured out what I was going to do. I brought my son with me. I enrolled him in Beverly Hills Elementary School and we just started a life out there. And then eventually I get a call, the call. Another one. Another call that my grandmother has been diagnosed with cancer and she has two months to live. Oh my God. So again, I'm like, I need <sighs> to go home. I need to be with my family. So I pull Andrew out of school and I go move back in with my dad. And my mom and my dad are together, really odd. And my grandma's dying from cancer. And so we're all kind of there just visiting you know, talking, getting all the stories we can, letting her know we love her, we appreciate her. And it went so fast because she had bladder cancer mm. and she caught it so late that it turned into bone cancer. And oh my goodness. bone cancer is like the most horrendous cancer. It, I mean, her, her body started morphing. Her, her bones were literally like morphing and turning. It, I mean, she was in so much pain. It sounds painful. Yeah. So they upped her morphine and she only made it two weeks. Wow. And so that happened and that just destroyed my dad. Like yeah. he did not know how to deal with that. So it started with, you know, having cocktails more often to him putting vodka in his coffee in the morning mm. to just straight vodka wow. to all day. Just sedating. For years. And so in this process of coming back home and my grandmother dying and, you know, I have my son He's nine. I decide to, I don't want to live at home. So I rent a room from, I rent two rooms from a friend's mom. So me and Andrew both have our own room, our own bathroom. And I'm feeling self-sufficient again because after the abusive situation, I lost everything. Like I lost my car, got, I lost, you know, I left my job. Yeah. I just up and left. And I, my face was so messed up that I kind of just had to do nothing for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So money was an issue. So it was, it was nice to finally be back on my feet and I was single and I was starting to like getting older and reading books and just figuring out like how to do this thing called life. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And someone told me, I don't even remember who it was or how it came up, but they told me to write on a piece of paper all of the things I wanted to attract in a man. Ooh, that is part one. Yes, ladies, Brandy and I actually spoke for two hours. She had such a roller coaster of a fearless female journey that I did not want to stop her. So I'm making this a two part episode. Stay tuned next week as we conclude Brandy's fearless female journey. Just when you think this woman has been through enough, there's so much more. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with all your fearless female friends. And again, I am looking for guests to share their fearless female journey on my podcast. Please send me a DM or hit me up on Facebook. Again, I'm on Facebook. I'm at the Fearless Female Movement. And on Instagram, I'm at Paola Rosser. All right, ladies, thanks again for listening. Goodbye.